0: an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animals, talking animals, talking animals. It walks like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Hear the animals, talking animals,
1: talking animals. Good morning. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Paula Poundstone, the veteran comedian perhaps best known these days as a regular panelist on NPR's weekly quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's also what could be described with some understatement is a pretty fervent cat enthusiast. For much of the 37 years she's been doing stand-up, she's often talked about cats on stage, and she certainly has a house full of cats these days. In an interview we recorded yesterday, we had a truly sprawling conversation that touched on a slew of topics, including ones you'd expect, like cats and comedy, and ones you wouldn't anticipate, like the serious threat she thinks computers and other devices can pose to kids with first-hand knowledge gleaned from when her son developed a serious electronics addiction. We'll hear that conversation in a moment after a note that later in the show, we'll speak very briefly with Stephanie Paquin, the founder of Passion for Pits, a St. Petersburg-based rescue that, as the name suggests, is passionate about saving pit bulls. They're also the organization promoting a forthcoming campus screening of the champions, the documentary examining the pit bulls rescued. From Michael Vick's dog fighting Ring and wider topics as well. That's going to be showing May 2nd at the AMC West Show right now. Let's get to the conversation I recorded yesterday with Paula Poundstone on Talking Animals. Welcome back, Paula. Thank
2: you very much, Duncan. So nice to be back.
1: Yes, well, there are, of course, a bunch of things I hope to discuss with you. uh, But given the nature of the show, it's practically mandated that we start off talking about cats. And the last time we spoke in 2012, the feline population, I believe, in your home was 16. Cats. Well, our oh.
2: census is down a little.
1: Oh, yeah. Where, where do we stand at this We're point? We're
2: at 14.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. I suppose there's probably some sad stories that go with the uh, altered. Well, uh...
2: it was, you know, it was the older members of the pack that, uh, you know, that lived a rich, full life. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well. So, uh, um, yeah, so now my cat Clue is the oldest, the whiniest. She always was the whiniest. By the okay. way, it has nothing to do with aging. Yeah, you know there are some people who do get whinier as right. they get older. Although yeah. I must I'm, say,
1: I'm one of them. I think. Well, yeah.
2: you know, I volunteer at a nursing home, and let me tell you, uh, for those who for those who were unclear about this, aging is horrendous, and any amount of whining they do about it is is not enough. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So, but but my clue can't claim. Aging as her excuse. She was always really whiny. In fact, you know, the other cats often, they don't allow her into the living room during the day. And sometimes I'm sympathetic to her. Sometimes I feel like, oh, that's so sad. And then when she happens to sort of be around me for a little bit of time during the day, I'm like, you know what? It is no wonder they won't let you in the living room during the day.
1: So they're strictly blocking her access because of the whining?
2: I don't know why specifically. I don't know no cat reason, but if I were a cat, for me, it would be the whining. I see. It's not, it's certainly not her looks. She's a lovely calico.
1: Yeah. Now, is any other of the uh, the 14 also blocked in that same way, or just Clue?
2: Just Clue. There are a couple who <laughs> recuse themselves. My cat Wednesday, who's the only one who has a biological sibling in my house. which oh. is She's the sister of my cat, Theo. Now, Theo is the... Is it a cat that is outgoing to a point, a point of annoying? Whereas Wednesday hides in the cat's bathroom cabinet all day long, and comes out now because I've started giving them canned food within this year. So she'll come out when I, you know, when I put the food out. But if I even turn and look at her, she runs away. I I believe she refers to me as the large one. <laughs> run away, run away! It's the large one. <laughs> That's
1: funny.
2: Uh, so basically, she uses me. She's not unlike my children.
1: I see. <laughs> I like yeah.
2: it. it's I feed I feed her. I, I I feed her and I clean her waste, and that's really that's really the only reason she has me.
1: And so, because uh, I think it was quite some time that there was sixteen, and maybe even I, I want to say I don't know if there was a, as high as seventeen at one point. But I mean, is there a certain number that that now you and the, and the family have just sort of gotten used to that it really should not fall below for one reason or another?
2: No, no. In fact okay. I'm hoping there's a day where it doesn't fall above one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay, so in other words, sad as this might be, as as we keep maybe losing cats to <laughs> old age or ailments, bless you, the number might just kinda keep dwindling rather than say, Hey, we're now we're at twelve, I think we really gotta bring a new cat or two. No, into you home. know,
2: I will say, you know, clearly there's something wrong with me because every kitten season I do get tingly. Um, but uh I, I mean, I have it, the thought of getting a new kitten has had the audacity to cross my mind um, even this season. But the thing is, as my daughter Allie pointed out, I said to her one night while we were walking the dogs, I said, "You know, Allie, I I I have no reason to stay in California." I said, "Once you guys, my being my children," I said, "You know, once you guys head on your merry." I go, you know, I can just, I can retire to a farm in New Jersey the way I've always talked about. And she goes, Ma, how are you going to get fourteen cats <laughs> across the country to New Jersey? And I was like, you know what, you're right, I am stuck here.
1: Wow. Okay. Guess, so how I- would
2: you get? I mean, I, re- I guess you could put them in an airplane, I suppose, but that's not, you know, uh, or 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 I could, I could rent a Hertz truck, uh, just put them all like in a van. You know, just put them all in the back, drive like a bat out of hell. And when I got to the other side of the country, I could claim I don't know what happened to it.
1: <laughs> exactly. They yeah. were they were there at the midway point. That's well, a, no,
2: yeah. not the cats, but I mean the the van.
1: Oh, I see. Because well, there's
2: going to, you know, there's a, you know, I sip four times a day and I have, um, what do I have, one, two, three, four, I have four litter boxes and one cement pan.
1: You know, it's funny, because we got into this last time, I was going to see if there was an update, especially if we're talking now about 14 cats. I was going to see if that affected the count of litter boxes, which I think last time was four. sounds like it's hold steady, but what is the cement? Uh?
2: Okay, you know, that it's a big, flat pan um, that's about two and a half, two and a half to three times the size of a regular litter box pan. And um, it's not covered, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we had the, and I know every listener's ear will perk up at this, we had the peeing outside the litter box issue Uh,
1: uh. to
2: such a degree. It was all I ever did was clean. Every morning I get up to some heinous disaster in there. And actually I tweeted about it in frustration one day, and an audience member, uh, you know, a a follower tweeted back to me um, this idea. And uh, I gotta say, it's uh, it's changed my life.
1: So the big cement, big flat pan has pretty much cut off all unauthorized urination outside the box.
2: Well, not 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 entirely, but you know, but reduced it,
1: yeah.
0: You
2: know, ninety-seven percent probably, because you know, one of the first of all, all my cats, not all, but many are a little on the fat side, so they don't. I, I don't know what they were doing. They, they, how can you be unskilled at a litter box for heaven's sakes? Yeah, very effectively. Yeah, it's a
1: basic skill. You would think in the yeah, cat world. Yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah.
2: So um, yeah, I mean, I think that they're you know they were somehow hanging their butts outside the outside the box, whereas this is large enough you know that they're generally centrally located once they're. Uh, you know, once they're high atop it.
1: Now, at the risk of delving too much further into this when we have so many other cool things to talk about, but how is it with with 14 cats and, again, four other litter boxes, I mean, does everyone use the cement uh, pan at one time or another or just certain cats, I mean, and, and therefore, the, luckily? Well, well, I luckily, mean, I
2: don't. You know, generally speaking, if someone's using a litter box, I try to make myself scarce. Right,
1: right. I I, I wasn't suggesting field research. I just was wondering, like, how the... Well,
2: I don't really know who in particular, because the other thing is, if if I happen to come upon them while they're using the litter box, they have a tendency to jump out, regardless of how far along in the process they are. Yeah. And so I I try to give them a wide berth. Sure. And uh, so I don't really know exactly who, but I will say it is the most popular box. Okay. You know, and this I do know from scientific uh, research. And, you know, I often think to myself, because, you know, Duncan, I've been a stand up comic for 37 years. I've worked in, in, you know, the last um, easily, I mean, easily uh, 22 maybe years. I've worked uh in well no maybe maybe twenty I've worked mostly theaters you mm-hmm. know yeah uh, i I consider myself a part of the show business, and I can't help wondering. Why am I sifting litter boxes? <laughs> <laughs> this is not the dream.
1: It's a lot of cats and a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of sifting. And uh, But no, I guess what was interesting to me is it sounds like the cats who were sort of the troublesome violators, I guess, for lack of a better term, that's before you term. got the big flat pan, have somehow naturally been drawn to that, and largely the, uh, the problem that you sought to address has been resolved.
2: It is. I think it's a size issue. That's what I think. Yeah. I think some of them are just so so damn big. Yeah. That in the flitter boxes in the north, in an effort to give themselves some space, <laughs> they back halfway out of it. <laughs> this is because, comfy here, yeah. Because they're idiots, yeah. Because they hate cats. Did I tell you that when I talked to you the last time? No, I, oh, I think
1: I. I think there was mild disdain, but I don't think we had reached hatred yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, they are frustrating.
2: I'll tell you that. We did, by the way. No, now we're trying to get two dogs out of my bedroom, and they are they are not.
1: Well, they don't like all this cat talk, well. probably. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they're. they're, they're my, my assistant came in and he tried to get the dog out and he keeps saying out and they keep walking back over and lying down beside me.
1: <laughs> well that's good. I mean it because is a I show. Have,
2: because I'm I'm actually laying I have blankets right now. I'm on the floor with blankets. And when my dogs see blankets
1: Yeah, that yeah, means it's time for them. Well, and,
2: they figure, yeah, we're not getting up. Right. Well the we show know is these blankets are moving, we know it.
1: And the show is called Talking Animals, so if they have anything they would like to contribute, I at least Honestly, would welcome that. Yeah. So.
2: I remember when, when my dog Sirius was being, you know, housebroken, he he slept in, uh, you know, in a dog pen in the kitchen, and uh, just like my dog Ramona did when she was being housebroken. And by the way, they are two uh, German Shepherd mix dogs. Those oh, big wow. Dogs. Cool. And uh, so once Ramona was housebroken, she I sleep on the floor, so she... Uh, you know, so she slept on the on the floor with me, and and then uh, I don't know how long it took for Sirius to get the idea about you know using the the bathroom outside, but uh, eventually he did. And so finally one night I brought him in to sleep with me and Ramona, and the look on his face when he saw the blankets because when I when I wake up in the morning I fold my blankets and put them in a box. So the, it's, he had never seen a bed before. The look on his face when he saw blankets, <laughs> you could tell he seemed to feel what's the word? Uh, uh, um, you could tell that he put it together, that he'd been in that cage all those nights.
1: Oh, that's funny. Wow. <laughs> like,
2: you guys had blankets?
1: This blankets? is cool. I really have hit the jackpot here.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they, they're reluctant to get up in the morning because they know I put the blankets away.
1: Yeah. I see, so they want to stall I'm that.
2: reluctant to get up in the morning for the same reason, I must say.
1: Right. Well, yeah, I saw, I think, a tweet the other day where, where you were on, on your way to that required heading to the airport at 3 a.m. So I would think that Not would be my a non- That's my regular
2: schedule, too. And I get because so often, Um, I've been in, in Florida, in fact, a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm in Florida a couple nights this week, I'll be
1: there a couple nights next week. Yeah, and well, let's, let's do the official plug, because Saturday uh, you'll be at you? the Lyric Theater in Stewart, which is not too far from where I'm speaking to you, because I live on the other side of the state from where the station is, which I know doesn't make sense. And then Sunday at the Van Weasel Performing uh, Arts Hall in uh, Sarasota. So, by the way, we're speaking with Paula Poundstone, and uh, this conversation was recorded yesterday. So, please proceed.
2: Oh, yeah. So, so because I live in Santa Monica, California... So because I'm on the West Coast and I'm often working on the East Coast, the time zones are not working for me. Ugh. So my pickup time is often, you know, three, four, two uh, uh, 4, uh, A few weeks ago, I had a pickup time of 12.30 a.m. It, it, that was my, my wake-up time.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. At yeah that point. I did something about that that is just so backwards.
1: Where, now, where were you headed that required that early of a start time?
2: That one might have been home.
1: Oh, okay. Except oh, I see. You were the going thing the other is, way. You know what yeah, it was?
2: Okay. I was not, um, I was near a regional airport, and, and and that wouldn't have gotten me home early enough. Oh, and I see. So yeah. I was driven to uh, a major big, airport, which big, took more yeah, time. I got gotcha. you. So it was a little car ride there. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, yeah, yeah, I do have early pickup times. And uh, so, yeah, so when the bed is gone.
1: Yeah. Sometimes Everybody I weep. Is sad. Yeah. Well, you're sad, and the dogs are sad because the blankets are gone. And, a lot uh, of
2: sadness. You know, I used to let the cats sleep with me. Years ago, I used to sleep out on the living room floor so the cats could sleep with me. But uh, they took the peeing on my head, so I had to... <laughs> that, uh, they, that'll be that practice.
1: Turn. Yeah. That. Yeah.
2: No, you just don't... One morning, I swear to you, it was a true story. One morning, my friend Mo Rocca called me early on a Sunday morning, and I go and, uh, you know, I, I jump up and I walk over to the phone. I answer and as I'm talking. I swear, why would I brag about this? Cat pee dripped out of my ear.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. I hate cats. Well, yeah. They are evil,
2: I... awful animals. And as I always say, I don't know why I work for them.
1: Right. Yeah. No, you are directly in their employ, and I uh, really am. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that's going to change too much anytime soon. So no, uh,
2: no, no. My dream of a farm in New Jersey is far away.
1: <laughs> and uh, so, when dogs got introduced, how did that work with what was already probably, I think, a sizable cat uh, household?
2: Um, took a little while. Yeah. Took a little while. I, yeah, my okay. old dog, not the not the ones I have now, but my first dog, his name was Cal, and he was a wild dog. He was about ten breeds in one, I swear. He was part pit, part black lab, part German Shepherd, and part chow. Wow. Well, that's four. Yeah. But uh, surely there was something else in there. Um, and he was a wild cat chaser, and it was a big problem. Ugh. He um, he could even, you know, so most of his life he was stuck outside a lot. I was forever putting him out because he couldn't be in the house with the cat. Yeah. And he wasn't playing either. I mean, he got one in his mouth once.
0: So
2: um, we... Uh, Uh, And he could, I'd put him outside and he could actually hit the sweet spot on the door um, that was shut and and bang it open. I mean, he was a a, a determined dog. He was like something out of a, you know, out of a cartoon, like a Sylvester and Tweety kind (laughs) of thing, where every episode of his life was about how to get to one of those cats. And um, he had we you know, I got a trainer and, uh, you know, sort of worked on that. And eventually he stopped doing that. And uh, therefore, he was uh, welcome inside the house much oh, more than he had been before. And he ended up being really great friends with a bunch of the cats. Wow! There some that never trusted him, but uh, and probably wisely. But there was a few that would snuggle with them.
1: Holy cow!
2: Yeah, that is I a think turnaround. once he figured yeah. out that, you know, that it was a good thing to be around those cats, um, he, I, I don't know, I mean, it's difficult to work with instinct, you, you know.
1: Right, but he obviously realized, you know, I'm going to log, if nothing else, a lot more indoor time if I stop chasing these cats. Yeah, yeah, I mean, them. I don't yeah. know if
2: it, you know, if... If he if he was that more if he was that reasonable and processed it that well he's leaps and bounds ahead of my son.
1: <laughs> I see. <laughs> okay. I, I always
2: felt with my children, you know, there were there were times where I tried to make the reward, you know, the incentive, right? A- and then what were the you know what were the negatives about doing the wrong thing? I tried to make it so clear
0: yeah. that
2: not only was it like a rat in a maze with the cheese, but it was there was no maze. It was just a straightaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, the cheese is here. For God's sakes, go after the cheese.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how you can think of how clear the message is being transmitted, and yet on the other end, what uh, is actually being received, and and the uh, the disparity between those two.
2: Yeah, yeah, the, uh, well, there seems to be an enormous amount. Yeah. Speaking of which, it is a lot. Well, I mean, not that not well. My old my middle daughter sometimes helps out with the litter boxes when she's home. Um, and she'll occasionally feed the cats or something. But uh, in, in the, the most uh, impact um, that uh, the, the kids had on the animals when they're here is that uh, they got pet a lot more. Ah yeah, you know? the, okay. the petting is really down right now. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try you know what I try to do? I try to walk through the house with my knees bent slightly so that my hands drag over their heads while I'm just doing chores.
1: <laughs> I see. So just sort of peripheral petting.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, like my dog, serious uh, is he's made this very bad determination. He's gotten so attention-starved that the new thing he does is lie in front of doorways all the time. So that because to him, being <laughs> stepped on is the closest
1: wow. to, <laughs> to being
2: pet that he I'm gets. Get, I'm
1: getting some action here, even if yeah. it's uh sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah.
2: Exactly. He's willing to pay that price, and you know. I've I've lost my peripheral vision and so often really truly I don't see them. So this is a really bad approach that they're taking. And when my hips get brittle uh, you know, are going to be on one of those commercials as a result of those damned animals.
1: <laughs> and uh, you know, that reminds me about seeing them and not seeing them. You know, I think when when on the show a, a few years ago, we spent more than a little time discussing the Poundstone Diner Cam, which was sort of trained on the oh. cat's food bowl and water and pro- provided like a live feed to their website. What what uh, gone? I, what happened? I loved the Diner Cam. So, so did happened. I. Yeah. It was a
2: tragic. Uh, it was a tragic loss. Okay. And this is important for you to know, as you have a son. Mm-hmm. Um. My son, who is the love of my life and the bane of my existence, my son uh, developed very early on. I put him in front of a computer when he was three, and, uh, and that was stupid. But I didn't know any better because those silly machines were, were you know came into our homes and our families and our schools under the deceptive cloak of the word educational. So I thought I was giving him a leg up teaching them to use a computer and blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, Well, it turns out that those screens are very, very bad for a developing brain, and uh, they're not great for developed brains either. I think everybody I know that uses a a computer feels some amount of, um, you know, compulsion towards it, uh, that that sort of constant pull that you need to check this and check that, even though when you really stop and think of it in the cold light of day, in fact, you don't need to. um, It's just... It becomes hab- habitual, becomes uh, somewhat addictive. And in Thomas's case, my son, who is now seventeen, um, he developed a very severe electronics addiction, and I had to take the I had to take the uh, cat cam down because uh, um, I couldn't because it was out in the kitchen, and uh, he just couldn't have electronics around him anymore.
1: Wow! And, so uh, yeah, the so- poor
2: guy has lived in a tent. For the last year, he um, first he was in Utah in a tent for a while, and now he is in Virginia. He goes to school, but he lives in a tent so that he can't have any access to uh, computers. Yeah, and you know when I went to look for a program that could help him, um, I you know I had to hire a guy that you know it's it's every 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 once you reach this level of desperation everything you do that you hear there's a big ka somewhere um so i had to hire what's called an educational consultant and he um uh is a guy who's supposed to know the the schools and the programs around the country and uh this is what you're paying him for is this expertise yeah and as far as this guy knew and i suspect he was right there were only two, two programs in the entire country that didn't use electronics as either rewards or some integral part of what they did. And uh, one was in Texas and one was in Virginia, and I opted for the Virginia one. And there the poor guy is living in the tent. And he's doing much,
1: much better, but he's been without electronics for uh, a year. And so, as part of shaking that addiction, how much longer than the year do they recommend is necessary? Well,
2: you know, they don't exactly recommend anything. The truth is, this problem in electronics addiction, and it can be, some people call it, you know, screen syndrome or something. There's Mm -hmm. different words for it, but you get the idea. It's the same thing. Electronics addiction. In, in South Korea and China, this is considered the number one threat to their public health. And the truth is, it is the number one threat to our public health, too. It is the spoke in the wheel of many health problems. But we don't wake up and smell the toast here. Um, I think we're so addicted that we refuse to acknowledge the damage that it's doing to our schools, our family lives, and, and our health in general uh, as individuals, our social lives, yeah. our sense of, you know, electronics have the nerve to steal the word connected. But the truth is, the more, quote unquote, connected someone is on a computer, the less connected they are, um, you know, uh, uh, really with their, you know, with their hearts to their their, uh, fellow men. And so there is no protocol here. And I don't know that they have the right protocol in China. But to China's credit, they have a lot of rehabs for the problem. I just don't know that they've solved what the you know what the uh, what the key is to to unlock the problem in mice overstimulation of the frontal lobe is irreversible and it with people I don't think they really know yet it's it's too new a problem so uh I I so the answer is I don't really know yeah um he he's he, I brought him home for a visit a couple of weeks ago uh for the first time in a year and he seems much better um
1: yeah but, well but I would we'll, s-
2: but we'll see. People have the nerve to say stuff like, well, it's like a food addiction because you still have to have it. <laughs> it's not remotely like a food addiction. Yeah. What's the matter with you? If you don't need food, you die. If you don't use your computer, you may be slightly inconvenienced.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, that there, there are obviously is real gradations. I mean, your son obviously got to the point where he felt like, okay, this calls for serious uh, action and, and sending him to one of these two programs. It's like
2: heroin. It was not. It was. Yeah. It was. It but was. But I mean, if you, if you have
1: kids uh, anywhere, you know, well, my guy's twelve, and we have this concern all the time, and and you just don't know, like, where in that sort of continuum of okay, well, this seems like too much, but uh, how do we cut I, it back, and where do, where does it start to get into the area where your son got to? I mean, Here, you know. okay,
2: here's my it, the, the truth is, it, it is, it, it it's a danger, for for every kid, and it's um it, the very idea that you've thought about it tells you right because you've seen a behavior already that says you hmm this is not this is not the kid we used to know or this is not right yeah. so you're already in that area yeah. you're, you're right there's no value there's zero value to a video game yeah. zero none if you found out that monopoly might be putting your kid at risk for you know for 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 addiction for brain damage basically right if you found that out would you hesitate for a moment to take Monopoly off your shelf? Of course you wouldn't. For some reason, the computer gets a path. It's the people try to find virtue in it. I've told people the har- harrowing, harrowing stuff that we have been through with this, with this horrible problem. And, and, and sometimes they look at me like as if they didn't understand a word I said, and they go, yes, but it's good for a hand-eye coordination. Like, Really? I, I, you know, I'm aware that as a country, we're behind in math and science. I've never once heard that we have a deficit in the area of hand-eye coordination. And, <laughs> and it's, it, unless you have a severely disabled child, there's not a dinner table in the country where, where a kid is randomly tining themselves in the side of the face with their fork to such a degree that one parent must turn to the other and say I think it's time for World of Warcraft.
1: <laughs> we have to send him to a program as well. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, no, it's a, yeah. Yeah, I'm
2: telling you. It's yeah. a useless uh, video gaming is a is a dangerous and useless activity. It is not sharpening your kids' brain. It is not a, like a helpful way for them to learn, a, a fun way to learn. It's none of those. And in our schools if you look at a graph of the proliferation of electronics in, in the home and in the schools, obviously it shoots almost straight up. If you look at a graph of the SAT scores, it goes the opposite direction. It mm-hmm. has not increased educational outcomes and we are, you know, people keep talking about, well, my kids need it for the future. Your kid needs their brain for the future. Uh, and, and, and you, you know, once you lose it, it's not like baby teeth. You don't grow your second brain.
1: So, so gonna, therefore,
2: we had to move the... Uh,
1: well, no, no, and you know, if you'll hold for a moment, I'd like to conference in my son so you can, uh, you honestly, know, make your... I'm telling you, you yeah. have to
2: follow your instincts. And the answer is not to titrate it, not to, not to narrow it, not to bargain more. Because the bargaining thing—I mean, I—I I, I swear to God, I was suffering, uh, you know, from uh, uh, just bargaining brain. After a while, yeah, everything—you'd yeah. have, <laughs> have thought that my son was some sort of high-end dealer, you know, <laughs> the way he could ratchet me down, you know. And the constant—I I suffered from, you know, negotiation exhaustion most of the time. There's no reason to negotiate. Get rid of it. That's the answer. All right, get rid of it. And if you and you're and the schools that insist, uh, you know, uh, there's some schools that they're still trying to put them in to the school. They're still trying to to use electronics more as opposed to um, getting rid of them. Uh, you can opt out um, from. You can tell your school that no, 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 my son needs uh, textbooks. Yeah. Um, you can do that, and a- you can get a doctor's note, and you know most pediatricians, well, pediatricians, the pediatric, I don't know, association or whatever it is, they say no screens before three at all, zero, none. But, you know, I I think that there is a very easy argument to be made that, um, you know, from a medical standpoint, so what makes Three years and one day a good idea? What makes three years and two days? Like, okay, at what point is it a good idea to put your kid's brain at risk? So you can get a note from a doctor and, and, and get them out of that stuff. Uh, make them go, you know, take a walk in a, in a swamp or something. <laughs>
1: okay. I, I was going to say, all the like the sounds the woods of that in a couple ways. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere in the Everglades or whatever. But uh, again, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Trust. My guest is comedian Paula Poundstone. Heard many Saturdays on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. She'll be performing Saturday at the Lyric Theater in Stewart and Sunday at the Van Weasel Performing Arts Hall in Sarasota. This conversation was recorded yesterday. Now, on the flip side of this, at least as, as far as grown-up computer use or screen use, you really seem to have taken to social media, Twitter uh, in particular. W- what do you like most about tweeting?
2: Well, I love the idea of thinking of jokes and telling them to people. I, 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 I like every form of that. Um, when I first saw Twitter, I must tell you, I, 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 a friend of mine showed it to me, and I, said, I thought to myself, well, that is the most stupid, egocentric thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, (laughs) having said that, I will say I enjoy it very much. Um, (laughs) You know, I've traveled for many, many, many years telling my little jokes. And I I was always an avid postcard writer um, because I didn't have a travel companion with me. And so when I would think of something, I'd be someplace and something would strike me as funny where, you know, normally you'd elbow somebody and go, hey, look at this, and then you'd say something about it, right? I never, I didn't have anybody with me to do that, and so I wrote, you know, I would make a note of something in my head mm-hmm. um, and then when i get go back to the hotel, you know, I'd write a postcard, a joke basically. Sure. You know, yeah. Maybe I might write a little more than that on a postcard. But basically it was that. I thought of a funny thing. I write it down and sent it to so to me and then I always had this thing where I couldn't remember if I had sent the postcard or not or if it was I called postcards in my head. <laughs> um it sometimes they never made it out of my head. So Twitter is a great it's a great receptacle for postcards in my head. And uh and then like I, I had been doing it strictly for you know, strictly for amusement. Stri- you know, just because I thought it was fun to write jokes and, and send them out there. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the horrible, you know, self-promotion beast, uh, you know, lumbered into the picture. My manager said, "Well, you know, if you have followers, you should tell them where you're gonna be." Is oh, that
1: how is I that how that that. she talks exactly? Or, or you, really, okay, no. right? Okay. No. Yeah.
2: Um. But I, uh, you know, I do this. You right. know, My female voice. And for sure. And then there's a the male voice, which is <laughs> really a lot more like my regular voice. <laughs> I see. Um, I, I swear, my voice gets deeper every day, and I'm not a smoker. Uh, hmm. I'm, 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 you know, Suzanne Plachette at least smokes for heaven's sake.
1: <laughs> you can explain that. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. For me, I don't. I don't know. I, think, I think it's. Fruitballs.
1: <laughs> well, I, I
2: have, I've would had be a reasonable. Chronic cough for 20 years, and sometimes I'm fairly certain I have a kitten stuck in my throat. There
1: you go. So, okay, so your manager said, okay, beyond, yeah, beyond said, just. Yeah,
2: you should let people know where you're going to. You yeah. know, so then came the thing where you're like, oh, you know, on Saturday, the blah, 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 I'm going to be at the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Which is my least favorite use of Twitter, honestly, but it does make sense that if. Um, you know, and then really in the business, uh, the show business, um, uh, you know, the the live performance business, yeah. um, social networking has usurped uh, some other forms of uh, promotion, and so it it sort of makes sense that yeah. you would use it that way. But I like to give people content. You know, I like to make sure that I'm I'm putting out uh, funny jokes I pride myself in never having said you know I'm in the shower um, it's if, if it I'm, I almost always write jokes there was one time about a month ago that I wrote like a serious thing which was I apologized to my Twitter followers because um, when when Donald Trump came on to the you know the the campaign scene yeah I just made jokes about it And it dawned on me at a certain point that that was how a lot of us handled it. You know, we just made jokes about it. And the media just sort of covered it because it was ratings. And we no one ever thought that what has happened would happen. And we therefore we are uh, those of us that took this stance um, uh, bear some responsibility uh, for what's happened, which is that. It should have been stopped a long time ago, yeah. um, but we weren't taking it seriously. And so, you know, instead what happened was this guy that has a really um, corrosive uh, effect on our democracy um, has somehow, you know, managed to get a lot of people. Uh, he, he went unquestioned for so long. For sure. You know, people didn't say, yeah, but wait. Except for I got to say, I mean, I'm 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 a Republican, and personally, I I, I feel the burn. But um, uh, I got to say, I I came away actually admiring uh, Jeb Bush, which are words I never thought would cross my lips. But he was the one candidate who said he, it wasn't a he didn't join in name calling. He didn't talk about you know size of somebody's hands or any of that foolishness.
0: Mm-hmm. He
2: simply said, "Hey, we don't. That's not American. We don't do that." And 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 he really did call him out a few times, yeah, you know, Yeah. on, on, uh, and you know, when you do that with, with Trump, is a little bit animal-like in that he, you know, he, he lashes out.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, he's, he's not just animal-like, he's feral.
2: Yeah, no, he, he is. And, and it, you know, he lashes out and, and they're very personal attacks. For It's sure. not about, he doesn't, he doesn't say, well, look how my policy is different than Jeb Bush's policy. Right. It's not that. Guy. I mean, no, that sort like, of lashing look, out. Is look scary. how low
1: energy the guy is, or uh, you whatever. Know that, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or
2: or whatever. You know. Yeah. Look at the You know how this guy's wife looks, or whatever.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. Um,
2: and so it's scary to take him on because you realize a, it, 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 you know, uh, there's voters that fall for that kind of um, approach, but b. You know, who wants somebody going after, you know, who they are as a human being when that's not what we're voting on. Yeah. You know, we're we're, we're voting on, you know, you know what we can do to to take care of one another using the money that we collect, that we all put into the pot, you know, to to do just that. What's the best way to do that? That's all that we're voting on. We're not voting on. Anybody's size, you, you know, or mm-hmm. all that other stuff. Yeah, so it's all about how are we as a group gonna gonna decide to use this money that we all put together, so that we could, you know, so that we could take care of one another. And uh, yeah, and, and and I don't think that Donald Trump has given that idea even a moment's thought.
1: Yeah, well, I think as we've learned and seen as he's done more and more, more in-depth interviews and had interviews with editorial boards of newspapers, etc., uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of thinking about any sort of policy here <laughs> beyond just no. the sloganeering well, you know, and uh, uh, attacks Speaking and stuff, of
2: animal yeah. talking...
1: Yes. All right,
2: <laughs> okay, and I realize that this does not necessarily move. I'm not a person who talks about people's looks and stuff because it doesn't it's because it has nothing to do with what the point of the election is. But having said that, he does make this kind of goldfish face sometimes. Oh yeah. He tilts his head back and makes this sort of mawing I don't know how to describe it, but he makes like a goldfish face and then he lowers his head again. And he does it in the midst of a sentence and he never seems to acknowledge that he stopped talking and and did this odd gesture for a minute, <laughs> yeah. you, you know? He's, he's punctuating. Honestly, it's a, a, some sort of uh, manifestation of a, a disability of some sort, like a, like a mental problem of some, of some sort. I was I just saying to an audience last night, I did a benefit for my, my children's elementary school that they no longer attend.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, nice. Yeah, it was
2: my 18th year. Of, of of appearing at the 18th annual, by the way. Jeez. Uh, um, uh, a, a fundraiser for our, our, our elementary school. And I was talking to the crowd. I said, you know, if your kid was doing an oral report, and they said, you know, the brown bear mostly, you know, they're talking to their class, right, and they say the brown bear mostly walks on four feet, and then they stop lean their head back, and make that funny goldfish face, and then just as if nothing happened, they go. but sometimes they walk on too. If you didn't get a phone call from your kid's teacher recommending some testing of some sort, that <laughs> teacher's not doing their job. <laughs> but no. this guy, I don't know, he just, he, he has an unused, he, he's a little bit like a computer.
0: Yeah, in that well. he
2: gets a pass, even though there's nothing about him that offsets the threat to our, to our health
1: Well, and it does seem like the jig more and more seems to be up a little bit. I mean, I think people gave him a pass and then realized, hey, this isn't just a big creep. Yeah, but
2: still too late.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because, A,
2: A, he sort of woke a sleeping beast in a lot of people, number one. And number two, because they already winnowed down their choices uh, uh, to such a degree um, in this sort of odd bloodbath of a primary that it's not... That they they don't have a they don't have reasonable choices anymore either. For well, I don't know. In my yeah. opinion, Kasich would be a reasonable choice. But but you know what I mean. The 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 damage so got done. Um, and also, I mean, to me, he's neither here nor there. I don't even care about him at all. What I care about is that he managed to get a room full of uh, uh, you know rooms full of people. Um, you know, willing to hurt people. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he, yeah. he put out. It's a, he planted a really bad seed. Yeah, and, and and it did take root in some in some groups, and and it should have been stopped. You know, before that, I'm saying all this based on my expertise of having run for class president in the sixth grade. By the way, so. well, but
1: I I believe you won. Didn't you
2: not? Uh, No. No? Uh, no. Came came in second? I was offered the vice presidency, which I thought was kind of throwing me a bone. (laughs) Yeah. I thought, what are the odds of a sixth grader being assassinated?
1: Right. Seems Um, unlikely. Yeah.
2: So, uh, no, I did not. But, you know, uh, I, I don't think that... Amy Hayes kept her hand in it, because you, you never hear her name. In I it. have
1: not heard, heard of her since. So, again, no. the, the voters were wrong back yeah. then. Once so, again,
2: the voters were wrong. <laughs> that's
1: right. But uh, and then on the other side, I know that peri- I mean, periodically, at least, her tweets are kind of laced with some political observations. And I think it was just a few days ago in the, in the wake of the whole who's qualified thing. I think oh, you geez. tweeted, dear Hillary and uh, Bernie, you're both qualified. You also both need a nap, which I thought, and even more succinct than 140 characters, really kind of said it all
2: yeah well, you know you do get some insights when uh, having parented, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, you do. Well, because
2: now- you see what somebody needs now. it is true, you know these these contests have gotten so much longer as the years yeah. have gone by, and the human condition has just not evolved with enough strength I, this is this is it takes on a they shoot horses, don't they, quality after a while, um who could go? This long doing what these people are doing without sort of losing a little emotional well being at a at a certain point, and I do think that uh, I, I mean I have to say honestly for for, for all of the candidates, it's stunning uh, how much uh, you know. I mean I usually go out to tell my little jokes. Generally speaking, it's Friday, Saturday.
0: Yeah. And
2: then since my son has been away, I, I you know I, I, I've sort of thrown it open to. Thursday, Friday, you know, like three nights a mm-hmm.
0: week, yeah, and
2: the difference in three nights from two nights it is exa- i mean it's exhausting I, yeah. I walk around in a state of exhaustion all the time because then when I'm home, it's not like I'm not doing anything I do you know promotion and and uh I'm doing everything that needs to be done in order to get out on the road a day earlier, right uh, again, yeah, and so I look at these people and I go, my gosh. I don't. I can't imagine how they do it. So clearly, they've. Once we get into the, you know, you're not qualified. No, you're not qualified. Then we've run out of steam.
1: Right. Well, you know, something you just mentioned about when they when they were doing that, and then you tweeted about you. You also, also both need a an nap, and then you said being a being a parent uh, helped you identify that social media. How we identify ourselves and how we see ourselves can be significant. In your Twitter profile, you identify yourself as mother, stand up comic, uh, wait, wait, don't tell me, panelist, author. But mother is first, so I'd be really interested to know, like, what, uh, over these years, what what has being a mom meant to you?
2: Well, I mean, responsibility-wise, it's obviously on the top of the list. I mean, Mm -hmm. life can get a—people will get by without me telling my little jokes. Um, But, I I mean, on the other hand, the audience is my best friend. It's a a balance, and, of course, if I'm not working, you know, how do I, you know, how do I afford, uh, you know— you know, luxury, like, like spinach. Um, So it's, uh, you know, for, it's the same for every parent. It's the exact same for me, which is you're, you know, you're constantly, um, you know, trying to find that, uh, that balance, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you you know. I don't know, Peter, Peter Sagal, and wait, wait, don't tell me, one day read a a study, he said, um, he said that they did a study and they found that people without children, Um, People who did not have children were happier (laughs) than people who did. And both Peter and I went, well, of course. And I don't think we meant it in a bad way. It's just that, you know, you have the slings and arrows of your own life, and then when you become a parent, um, you know, the challenges of your kid's life become, to some degree, I don't mean you want to cut the ledge out from underneath them by not allowing them to struggle with their own problems, but to some degree, those problems become your problem. And so, in the ca- in my case, you know, I increased my problems by threefold because um, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. On the other hand, I if I had my life to do over again, although there were certainly some glaring changes that I would make uh, in my own, you know, in my own uh, choices, uh, I, I would. All three of my children are adopted, and I would adopt all three of those children again in a heartbeat um, and uh, I consider myself the luckiest woman in the world to be able to uh, ha- to be their mom um, and and to be their mom that happens to be a standup comic is mm-hmm. truly. Uh, icing on the cake. See, I'm very lucky because when I go to work, which, by the way, is the easier of the two jobs, and there's no question about that. Um, It's a million times easier to go to work. You know, for the traditional families that, you know, where the guy you know left the house with the fedora on and the briefcase (laughs) Briefcase. went to the car, man, did he have it easy. Um, The yeah, the two of the two jobs. I, I used to go to work to get rest, and then and, and I came home to work. That's sure. how it always worked. Yeah. But I also am lucky enough to do a job that um, fills me up, yeah. and not everyone draws that card. Yeah. And I am well aware of how lucky I am. I go to tell my little jokes in front of a group of people who have come out to laugh for the night. It's like a bonanza. And laughing, um, well, there's a couple of things, not just laughing. There's a quality to it. We're in a room with one another. And a lot of what I tell, I mean, I talk a lot about raising a house full of kids and animals. And um, a lot of the stuff that I say is actually stuff that were real sincere struggles for me. Um, But there's something so much fun about laughing about it and that um, shared experience. The fact that i I am not by far the only one um, you know who struggles with the you know with the computer thing with my kids or who struggle with uh, you know the uh, testosterone the mindless testosterone level in in boys or who struggle with you know the the, the, the uh, teenage you know years of 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 the kids differentiating differentiating themselves from their parents, which in, includes almost inherently some amount of eye-rolling. Uh, um, my, my daughter, Allie, by the way, was captain of the eye-rolling team when she was in middle school, so we were very, very proud of
0: her.
1: That's great.
2: Um, you know, but th- that that shared experience, Laugh, has got to be one of the healthiest. Sure. And and for people going out, and I don't insist that they come out to see me, although wouldn't that be great, but, you know, going out to Laugh for the night is is probably the most mentally healthy thing that you'll do all month, whether or not you see a therapist. Yeah. And it's different than, you know, one of the mistakes of the whole computer, you know, watch this funny video thing, although, you know, I made my share of funny videos, and I occasionally watch other people's funny videos. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a big difference between laughing in a group of people and laughing by yourself. You know, I love the Three Stooges. And I've seen those shorts, uh, you know, easily 50 times each, I would say. I mean, conservatively. Yeah. Um, but when my kids and I used to sometimes go to the Three Stooges Film Festival and we would watch in an audience of people on the big screen, and, and you would get caught up in the waves of laughter of the group. And it's real different from how I watch when I watch at home. I watch the Three Stooges at home. I I don't know that I ever laugh out loud. I yeah. simply acknowledge that I think it's funny.
1: Yeah, well, it's like what you were saying earlier about computers and sense that people try to promote about the connectivity, whereas actually there's a greater sense of isolation. That's uh, really the result.
2: And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. and so this this you know this there's a joy to being among one another, and I know that there's all sorts of sort of political uh, uh, wrangling, and and there's viewpoints that suggest that. We need to isolate one another, you know, from one another, and that there is a tendency in all of us, I think, to want to do that sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, the truth is we need each other. And, yeah. and, and, and uh, our, the success of any individual in, in our society um, depends on the success of people who don't look anything like them. And, and uh, there's, it's nice to recapture that feeling by being together, laughing in a group.
1: For sure. Well, we're just uh, almost uh, at the end of our time, Paul, but one thing I've been thinking about before uh, speaking to you, so we've known each other a pretty long time and and, uh, both for that huge LA Times profile I wrote on you a zillion years ago as well as socially. We discussed back then you're being uh, estranged from your family and it was pretty deeply estranged as I recall and, and in fact, I remember one time we were at Brunch doing an interview or something And, and you were looking at a menu of baked goods And said, you know, my mom makes great cornbread It would almost be worth speaking to her
2: <laughs> And
0: uh,
1: so But I, I, I've been wondering Because
2: she makes a cornbread that's very different than that What you would buy in a in a restaurant
1: Yeah, but I guess what, what I was wondering uh, As we sort of near the end of our time here, is To what extent has motherhood represented a, a Sort of an opportunity to c- correct things in a way To implicitly say, at least to yourself This is how you be a mother This is how you treat and raise your kids, so there isn't those kinds of... Well, I'll
2: tell you, I mean, there are days where I think to myself, you know, I think it was a a lot harder than I gave my mother credit for.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: (laughs) I I used to say, I used to say sometimes, I go, you know, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, you know, like this was like her her sort of most, uh, um, uh, you know, damning curse to me. She would say, I hope you have kids someday.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. And I hope
2: they treat you the way you treat me.
1: (laughs) Wow. I would say that even my
2: mother would say that things have gone too far.
1: (laughs) Well, that's pretty telling, though, no matter what. My My
2: kids were, uh, uh, I I mean, it's not that I was not a pain in the neck. I'm aware that I was. But my kids were so beyond any any neck painery I could have even... Thought of, yeah. Oh my God, they were nutters. Yeah, you know? well, except for for some odd reason, my middle child was the kind of kid who just did what she was supposed to do. And frankly, in our home, it was almost freakish. So <laughs> <She, she, laughs> What's was, wrong she, with you? Yeah. She was to us what Marilyn was to the Munsters. <laughs> That's because funny. in truth, I was a lot more like the other two. You know, yeah. I I was onto them at every turn for the most part because I were because uh, they were a lot more like me. Whereas Allie. My my, you know, my college-bound child. We just couldn't figure it out.
1: Seems yeah, yeah. She used to
2: write her assignments down and then do them. Wow. So that? That, yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, that, it that's... stunned us. She was like John Boy. <laughs> where go, Well, look at that. He's doing the handwriting.
1: Look at that. <laughs> well, Paula, we're we're uh, at our time, or maybe even over. But we've been speaking uh, with Paula Poundstone, and she will be performing again this Saturday at the Lyric Theater in Stewart's on the. On that side of the state, and Sunday at the Van Weasel Performing Arts uh, Hall in Sarasota, and of course, uh, every three or four Saturdays on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and uh, Paul, there's a bunch of other things I was hoping to get to, but I really enjoyed what we did talk about, so thanks uh, again for joining us uh, today on Talking Animals. All
2: right, thanks, Duncan. I gotta go tip.
1: What's that? That's right, you do have sifting to do. All right, I thanks. Bye bye. Take care. All right, our thanks again to Paula Pound. So, time now to move into our conversation with Stephanie Packwin, the founder of Passion for Pits. Indeed, let's welcome Stephanie to Talking Animals. Good morning, Stephanie.
3: Good morning, Duncan.
1: Uh, again, I apologize, we're sort of short on time. We will come back and have a, a longer conversation in the near future, but quickly, uh, maybe give us a description of what Passion for Pits is and what it does.
3: Passion for PITS is a uh, non-profit donation-based organization that takes bully breeds out of local kill shelters, uh, takes medical cases, behavioral cases gets them 100% healthy and adoptable, and finds them forever home.
1: Well, that sounds pretty cool. And on a related note, I suppose we could say there is this uh, screening on the horizon that Passion for Pitts is, uh, is promoting. Tell us a little bit about, you know, we had uh, Darcy Dennett, the director of the Champions, on the show a few weeks back. But, uh, but tell us a little bit about the screening, because at that time there was no screening scheduled. And now uh, now there's an opportunity for folks to see the film.
3: Passion for Pits is hosting um, the screening of the Champions on Monday, May 2nd at 7.30 at the AMC West Shore in Tampa. The documentary focuses on the dogs that were rescued from Michael Vick's Bad News kennels. We're very proud to be involved in this um, particular screening. And again, it is will be Monday, May 2nd at 7.30 at the AMC West Shore in Tampa, and tickets can be purchased online.
1: Yeah, we should say that there's a couple different ways to either find out more information or purchase tickets. You can go on to Facebook and search for Passion for Pits, and 4, in this case, is the numeral 4. Uh, you can also go to tug.com and search by the city for Tampa. You can get all your information there. And as we talked about with uh, Darcy when she was on, uh, it covers not only the information about the uh, The pitbulls rescued from the Michael Vick dogfighting ring and sort of tracks some of those, but uh, also widens out to explore some other Pitbull issues, myths and misconceptions and breed legislation and all kinds of things. It's really, it's a well done film. And uh, finally, now there's a chance for uh, people in the area to see it. So again, that's The Champions Promoted by Passion for Pits, Monday, May 2nd, 7.30 screening, AMC West Shore. And again, you can go to uh, Facebook, search Passion for Pits, or go to tug.com and find for screenings to scroll down to Tampa. So, uh, anything else to add real quick before we uh, need to scoot? Uh,
3: We are very excited to be involved in this. Looking forward to it, and it's going to be a great, great evening. So come out and join us, see this documentary, and support a good cause.
1: Very cool. And we should also note that some proceeds of the tickets then will go to uh, Passion for Pitts. So yet another uh, uh, reason to to get out there. So, uh, Stephanie, thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Like I say, next time we'll, uh, we'll get into the organization of or the thing in more depth, but thanks for giving us a quick lowdown today.
3: Thank you so much for including me.
1: Okay, you bet. We have reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WNF. Rob Lurie is up next with what amounts to two hours of radio activity. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa, Largo, Wiki Watchy, and Beyond. We'll see you next Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Talking Animals.